Welcome to Time for Truth. I'm Winston Parrish, and in a world full of lies, deception, and confusion, it's time for more truth. We understand truth to be defined in God's Word as timeless. Truth is relentless. Truth will always be unapologetic on this podcast, and truth can transform your life, the life of your family, the life of your loved ones. And at the end of the day, truth is our only hope. So for just a few minutes, grab your Bible, grab a pen, and get ready because it's time for truth. For just a few minutes tonight, if you would, take your Bible and turn to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 16. For just a few minutes, this is a very familiar story to you if you've had your Bible for any time. If you're new to your Bible... This is an incredible story, and I invite you to go later and read this, in, this story in its entirety. Uh, it is jam-packed full of incredible promises and truths and history of the nation of Israel and uh, the, uh, the story of King David as he becomes the king. And uh, it's a wonderful story. But there's something that happens in this story, uh, a dialogue, if you will, between a father and a son that I believe with all my heart is the key to living the Christian life. And with the burden that pastors presented to us with uh, our heart for outreach for Easter, that we would all make an effort to invite someone who needs Christ, who needs to be saved on Easter Sunday. With that being said, and with our efforts turned up more than ever before, understanding where our world is and what pastor mentioned today, our responsibilities as Christians to be salt and to be light, I do believe that if we're going to portray that heart and if we're going to portray that salt and that light, then I believe this young teenage boy in Bethlehem showed us an incredible truth that we all can pay attention to tonight. Let's pray and then we'll get into God's Word together. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank You for Your Word. Lord, thank You for what we've already experienced today on this property. And Father, I'm so humbled and God, I'm so honored just to be one of your children tonight. Lord, thank you for your word, for the truth, and God, for the preach word of God that we've heard here already today. God, for the other services that are going on on campus, God, I pray, Lord, that you would be in each and every one of those services. God, protect our children, our young people, our singles. God, anyone and everyone on this campus tonight, may the Holy Spirit of God have free reign to do as he pleases in their heart. Lord, I pray that you take this time together. And Lord, that you would use it to encourage people's hearts. Father, hide me behind the cross as a vessel and use this time for your glory. And all God's people said, Amen. First Samuel chapter 16, and I want to hit the high spots of this story to give you an understanding of what's going on in this story. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14, look what it says. It says, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Verse 17 says, And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite that is cunning in playing and a mighty valiant man and a man of war and prudent in matters and a comely person and the Lord is with him. Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David, thy son, which is with the sheep. In verse 21, And David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, 
for he hath found favor in my sight. Now we go to chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, and we go all the way to verse 15. But David, when he had returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem, and Jesse said unto David his son, in verse 17, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn, and these ten loaves, and run to the camp of thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand. And look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. And the last verse we'll read is verse 20. Pay attention to what happens here. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. If you look at this incredible story of a teenager, remember David's still in the field in Bethlehem. He's not at war in the valley of Elah with his brothers. That means he's probably somewhere between the ages of 13 and 15 years old, there being a shepherd boy. The Spirit of the Lord sends a spirit to Saul. Saul is on his way out as king, and the Lord is doing as he pleases with Saul. And so Saul is on his way out, but in a field in Bethlehem, the Lord is already preparing the next king in a shepherd's field. And a little boy named David is being faithful to do what his father has asked him to do. And like most moms and dads here tonight, when your older son or your adult children come home and visit, you have one or two things laying around that they can help you with. And so David, he gets a new job in the palace. David's been promoted to this armor bearer position. He's known already in the land for being an incredible man of skill and talent. And he gets a job in the palace in front of Saul. And Saul falls in love with David. I love him. I need him with me. But David, uh, as the shepherd boy, has to go home because Saul the king is going to war. And when he goes home on furlough, his daddy sends him to the sheep field to continue his work. The work wasn't over. Just because of your new position, just because of your new job, doesn't mean you're not going to work when you get home. Can I get an amen? amen? So David goes back to the sheep field. And remember now, David's been promoted from the shepherd's field to the palace. So I imagine that David has access to things that David has never had access to before. I imagine the diet that David is eating in the palace is completely and totally different than the diet of that of a shepherd boy in Bethlehem. I imagine that David, because of his position and his new role in the palace, has new vesture. He's probably not wearing the same stinky, smelly clothes where he was working in the field with the sheep. More than likely, David's been given a new robe or a tunic or something that indicates that he has position in front of the king. And so David, with his new job and his new access to probably fragrances and oils and fine foods, I imagine he goes home maybe a few pounds heavier than when he left before, and he goes into his dad's house, and dad says, son, I'm glad you're home, but there's a job, there's a task for you that I have. And I want you to take parched corn and loaves and, and cheese, tin cheeses to be exact, and I want you to go to your brothers who are at war. And I want you to make sure your brothers are fed. And if I look at what David had been promoted to, it really doesn't match the job that his dad's given to him. He's been given a job in the palace. He's been given position. David's been given something that most people will never experience. That's presence with the king. He has clout in the palace. It says that Saul fell in love with David. That he loved his presence and he loved what he meant to him. 
But instead of David's response to his dad being that of this, no, dad, I've got a new position, I've got new power, I've got, uh, really, I've got cloud in the palace. Instead of David saying that to his father when he's given the task, David responds by being early in his responsibility and taking the cheese and the corn and going to the Valley of Elah to feed his brothers. And when I step back and I look at David and what he could have said or where he could have responded to his father, I see something that for all of us tonight should entice us in our walk of faith. And that's this. I believe with all my heart that what David shows in these few verses as we understand the story, that David had a heart of a true servant. David's heart was in tune with what it means to be a servant. And for us, Trinity Baptist Church, as we go forward in our walk of faith and as we carry on the responsibility to be who we're supposed to be in this body of Christ, we have a responsibility within our salt and light mandate from Jesus Himself in Matthew chapter 5 to before we surrender to status, we must surrender to serve. It is more important tonight for you to surrender your heart to that of a servant than it is to find that volunteer card that we made, find a position or a role, and surrender to a status. Surrender to be a servant. And so for just a few minutes tonight, I want to highlight a few things that we see here in David's heart. Now remember, for us as Christians... 2 Corinthians 4, 5 says this, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servant for Jesus' sake. So the first thing we have to remember going into this study is that at the end of the day when it's all said and done, it's not about me. My position, my role, the talents that God's given me is not about me, it's about Him and what God's called me to do. It's all about Christ. It's all about what we have been mandated by God to be. And that's to have the heart of a servant. So there's just a few things I want to examine. The first thing that I see that David was concerned with, we'll look at a few things that David really was concerned with and a few things that David was not concerned with in his attitude and his posture here in these verses. The first thing that I see in this servant's heart, now remember, David is a teenager. Can you imagine getting a response from your 15-year-old son when you tell him to get a donkey and take cheese to his brother's? My goodness, if my dad would have asked me that when I was 15 years old, I would have rather run out in traffic and got run over by a car. Take cheese to who? Savannah, Scarlet, and Sophie? Are you kidding? But David, even as a young man, and remember, later on the Bible says that this is a man after God's own heart, displays incredible heart of servitude. And so the first thing I see in his attitude and in his heart is prudence in his reputation. Prudence in his reputation. Verse 18 said this, Saul's looking for a solution to his problem. Saul is troubled and Saul is looking for something to take away the pain and the torture of being in, uh, in the presence of this evil spirit. And in verse 18, he's asked his servants to send him somebody. And look what verse 18 says. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite that is cunning and playing, a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. 
Can you imagine somebody saying that about you? My goodness, what a description of a teenager. I I can't imagine. But for him to have that reputation, the first thing that David must be obsessed with at this point in his life is prudence and reputation. And prudence, broken down in this way, will help us understand. The first thing I see in prudence is discernment. Discernment. And, And really what discernment breaks down to for us tonight is my company, who I hang out with who I associate with, how I live my life, the places I go, the places I sit, spend time, and really where I put my investment with my life. And for us all tonight, the greatest investment that we have is our time. Where are we spending the most time? And for David, it was obvious that there was discernment in his life, that he was doing exactly what God had called him to do, being an obedient son with a servant's heart. So the first part of that prudence I see is discernment, my company, my time. The second part of that is wise speech. For David to be seen in this light, for David's reputation to be known in the palace already, then David had to have wise speech. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to be honest with you right here. Full transparency. My mouth is 99.999% of my problem. It is. What comes out of my mouth causes the biggest problems in my life. The way I respond the way I talk to people, the way I respond to a question, the way even I put my tone on a word when I'm saying something or demanding something. David had to have wise speech, my mouth. And if we're going to have the heart of a servant, I promise you the biggest element to start off with a first impression is this. What's coming out of your mouth? What's coming out of your mouth and how is it being delivered? Remember, words are like toothpaste out of a toothpaste bottle. Once it's out, there's no putting it back in. Words are dangerous. Words are powerful. Words can hurt. Words can love. Words can encourage. And words can destroy. And here's what we need to remember tonight as Christians, especially as we go forward with this heart of, uh, of inviting people to come here on Easter, especially is this. God will give you influence with people that don't even know you because of the way you talk to them. Think about that. Discernment. Why speech? The third thing I see in his prudence of reputation is a teachable spirit. And his teachable spirit is represented for us tonight like this, his attitude. What was David's attitude? For him to have the reputation in the palace, then when he got a task, when he was given a job to do, his attitude had to be in the right place for that to be the reputation on the back end of what God had told him to do. All David's job was was to be a shepherd. But already in the palace, he has a reputation of prudence because of his attitude. And tonight for us, if we're going to have the heart of a servant, if we're going to change our community and our towns and our families, then I suggest this. My attitude should be indicated by my posture. And my posture tonight, and for all of us every day, should be the posture of prayer. The posture of prayer. Your prayer life has a lot to do with where your attitude comes out. And for David to have God's heart and for David to be the servant that he was, David's attitude had to be in the right place. 
My goodness, a posture of prayer changes everything. Well, I've had a bad day. Get into a posture of prayer and see what happens. Before you send the text or write the email angrily, get into a posture of prayer and let God do something in your attitude so that you can be what God wants you to be, a servant. A servant. His attitude. The second thing I see in David's heart as a servant, we see his prudence and reputation. And then I see in David's heart persistence in his role. Persistence in his role. Verse 19 says, Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me, David, thy son, which is with the sheep. Saul knew that David would be where he was supposed to be. He is exactly where his father has given him a task to do. He's there and he's doing it. And in this culture and in this day and even in our churches, part of the issue and problem with our hearts of servitude is this, that we're not sustaining beyond the usual of what culture is. And how we do that is by being faithful. We must sustain beyond the normal. Culture says, get a job. If you don't like it, quit it. Culture says, if your boss makes you mad or he offends you in any way, tell him you quit and don't worry about it. Culture says, don't respect your parents. Don't respect authority. Just do as you please. But what David shows here is persistence in his role and he sustains beyond the usual. David's faithful. David has been given a task and he's simply doing it. Persistence in his role. And then the other part of that is continuing to do the job, being faithful without changing. Stability. Being consistent. There's a difference in being there and being there consistently. Being consistent in the heart of a servant. It changes. And then what starts to happen is you'll have people come here who maybe have a heart that's cold or you'll have people like even that were here maybe today with a heart of I'm not really sure where I stand in belief of God. And because you're consistent and because you're faithful and because they can count on you to be that aggravating, smiling face every time they come in the door, God can begin to work and do things in their heart. And if we're going to be the heart of a servant as a church, We must be faithful, but we must be consistent in how we act and how we talk to each other. Consistency, being faithful and being consistent. And this isn't a teenage boy. What an example for us all, being persistent in his role. The third thing that I see in David, and boy, I'm preaching to myself here, punctuality in his responsibility. Punctuality in his responsibility. Look at verse 20 of chapter 17 again. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse, who is his father, had commanded him. My goodness, not only did David respond the right way, David got up early so he could do what his dad had asked him to do. And maybe you're here tonight and you're not really sure, how in the world am I supposed to be punctual in my responsibility? Well, here's the fact. Number one, that God has called all of us to be different. God has called all of us here tonight. If you identify yourself here tonight as a 
born-again believer, if you're a Christian here tonight, you have a responsibility. And maybe there's somebody here tonight, maybe that God's been nudging your heart to be a Sunday school teacher. Maybe God's been nudging your heart about helping with the hospitality tables. Maybe multiple times God has nudged your heart about parking cars or doing something that you think is so minuscule and not really meaningful. But if you will do it with punctuality in your servant's heart, God will continue to elevate you at that timeline instead of the timeline that you're acting in. In other words, get to work with what God's told you to do. And in David, this young teenage boy who is faithful to do what he's supposed to do is punctual in his responsibility. It blows my mind to understand that this boy is 15, maybe even 14 or younger in age. What an incredible, incredible testimony of a servant's heart. And here's the question tonight. What is your responsibility? What is your responsibility? What are you going to be punctual in? Here's what I have for you, and it's what's been preached here already today. You are to be salt. You are to be light. When Jesus stood on the Mount of Beatitudes, He didn't say, if you feel like it, or after you've been a Christian for 15 years, or after you've gone to seminary or Bible college. No, no. He said, if you belong to Me, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And for all of us here tonight, if you're a Christian and you're listening, raise your hand to me. Raise your hand if you're a Christian. That's almost everybody in the room. Salt and light. Salt to stop the decay. And when you interject yourself into society and into culture and into your workplace and into your school and university and even to your lost family members, you have a responsibility not from the Baptist denomination, not from your pastorate, but from Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, to be salt to stop the decay. Salt is that preservative and you can go into a situation that's so bad and so nasty, God said, I'm going to give you those opportunities to stop the decay to give maybe somebody an opportunity to see something different in you and what is it that they could see Jesus said you are the light of the earth and what does light do if we were to turn all the lights off in here and I was to get a flashlight what would it do it would cast out the darkness and very simply put it's this you should stand out more than the world does At your workplace, who gets the most notability? Is it the man with a foul mouth and who you know is running around on his wife? Or is it the man that stands for righteousness and for what's good and for what's just and for what's pure? What is known in the place that you work? What is known of you in the place that you study? What is known of you even in your own church? And Jesus said, if you belong to me, you are to go into dark places that maybe even make you uncomfortable and cast out darkness. Be the light. Your responsibility. And with David and his punctuality responsibility, for all of us tonight, that means now, today, this moment. This isn't next month. This isn't at Easter time. This is today, right now, tonight. We have a responsibility today to be salt and to be light. Well, I don't really have a platform. Do you go grocery shopping? When you go to Ingalls or Publix or wherever you go shop for your groceries, you have a great opportunity to be salt and to be light. Do you go to the car wash and have your vehicle washed? You have a great opportunity to be salt and to be light. Well, I don't really know if people know who I am. I promise you they will know who you are by the way you respond to them through and by the influence of the Holy Spirit working your life. 
And then all of a sudden, little gleanings of Christ will start catching their eye. Not for them to see you, but for them to see Christ living in you so that He may receive all the glory and honor for what He's doing in your life. What an awesome opportunity to do something for Christ. Salt and light. He was very, very punctual in his responsibility. He got up early to carry the cheese. And with that responsibility, we're not to just stay stale and stagnant and grow moldy. We have a responsibility to grow personally in our walk of faith and show it to the world. Not again for our glory, but for the glory of Jesus Christ. So that God can do something with you. I want to be useful for the cause of Christ. I want to be useful for Jesus. I want to be useful for the kingdom of Christ. I want to be useful for my church. God's called us all to much more than spectatorship on a blue row. God's called us all to have responsibility. And if we're going to change Asheville, if we're going to change Buncombe County or Henderson County or Madison County or North Carolina, we must have the heart first of a servant. Grow it and show it. Be what God's called us all to be. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Can I boil all that down into a very simple word that will help you ascertain most of those words? It's kindness. Kindness. Part of being the servant and part of having the heart of a servant is first that you're kind, that you love one another. And if you expect God to do something in your life, and if you want God to continue to grow you so that you can do more for Christ, the first step that I submit to you tonight would be that you would show yourself kind. Be friendly one to another. Someone here in the church, maybe that's a little different than you are. Be kind to them anyway. Maybe there's someone at a restaurant that smells funny or looks different or talks a different way. Be kind to them anyway. Well, they have a different political view than I do. Be kind to them anyway. Well, they don't really do things the way I do. Be kind to them anyway. How in the world are they to see Christ in us if we first cannot be kind to them? Kindness goes a really, really long way way. It's the essence of the heart of the servant. Be kind. All we have at the end of the day, our pastor has said this for years. It is instilled in my heart. And really all we have at the end of the day is God and each other. It's God and each other. And I'm going to be honest with you tonight. I need you, Trinity. I need you. You're my family. You're my friends. You're my confidants. You're the people I call when I'm having a bad day. You're the people that I ask to pray for me and my family. I need you. And all we really have at the end of the day is God and each other. Yes, we're a family. Yes, there's fights and fusses and different people with different ideas. But you know what? That's the beauty of being a family. And if we're going to make a difference for Christ that's real, if we're going to be useful for Jesus, we must be kind. We must be kind. David would have never got the opportunity to go to the palace and get this new position if he had not shown himself kind to other people. Your other responsibility is to study your Bible. It's the most beautiful love letter ever written. And inside here is everything you will ever need. 
Your Bible has everything you will ever need for every situation and circumstance you'll ever face. Well, but I lost my mother. The Bible will bring you comfort. My son, my daughter is breaking my heart. God's word will bring you stability when you feel the weakest in the knees. God's word is holy and it's pure and you can count on it every single time. Just as it was preached here today, the truth of this book contains the resources that you need to operate your life. But if you want God to do something for you, if you want God to move in your life, if you want to grow in your walk of faith with Jesus Christ, we must have the heart of a servant. So these are the things I see in David. His prudence and reputation, his persistence in his role, his punctuality and his responsibility. And then I just want to highlight a few things I don't see in David that stands out today from our culture. Just a few things. The first thing I see that David is not concerned with is self-promotion. I don't see David in verse 20 say, well, Dad, I'll be honest with you, I've got a new position in the palace. I've been given a new role. I Really, I'm too good to go do that job. Hey, do you remember what comes after David gets to the Valley of Elah with the cheese? Does the words, is there not a cause, ring a bell? Does the story of David and Goliath and David's ascension to the throne if David had not been faithful in the small things, like carrying cheese to his brother, he would have probably missed the greatest blessing that God would ever have for him. To become the king. To slay Goliath. To save Israel as a teenager. And moms, dads, grandparents, aunts, uncles, young people, listen, if you will be faithful to do the small things that God has asked you to do, then God will do such a great promotion in your life that you can't even imagine. God will give you platforms and influence with people that you thought would never listen to you in a hundred years. Somebody will come to you at the darkest part of their life and they'll say, I know I can trust you because you're the servant I need to hear from. Can you help me pray? God will use you in a way that you can't imagine. But David was not concerned with self-promotion. It goes back to the surrender to serve instead of surrender to status. Before David was the boy in the palace with the job, David was Jesse's son. And dad's commandments, dad's ask, dad's wants, dad's desires meant more than what people were going to think of him taking the cheese to the Valley of Elah. So the first thing I don't see that stands out in our culture, self-promotion. Everything that I have is a gift from God. My influence, my position, anything that God's given me, it's a gift from Him. If I get to go to work and I get to bring home money to feed my family, if I get to drive a vehicle, if I get the opportunity to go and do anything, it's because God's allowed me the opportunity to do it. Well, I'm a hard worker, but who allowed you the opportunity to go and win the money? Who gave you the ability to get up out of the bed and dress yourself? David wasn't worried about self-promotion. He was just worried about being the son. The second thing that I see that David was not concerned with, special position. It was not on his lips. David's new job in the palace had no influence on this. And really, for us tonight, it's this. It's what our founding pastor used to say all the time. I believe he even wrote a book about it. Bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. 
David was not obsessed with his position. But dad, I've got this and I've got that. No, no, David said, okay, I'll take the cheese. And, and look, here's the truth of it. God's made us all different and unique and with different talents and different things that we can do to reach people for Christ. Listen, if I was to get up here and to get on that piano and try to sing and play the piano, you would run to Candler at 150 miles an hour. It would be terrible. It reminds me of someone else I know. If I was to attempt to go in the back where Brother Greg is and be an audio engineer tonight, I could get the sound on, but it's not going to sound like what Brother Greg can do. If I was to take Brother Donnie's Sunday school class and try to teach it the way he does, I would fall flat on my face. That's not what God's called me to do. That's not the talent God's given me. That's not the place that God's given me. And what I'm trying to tell you tonight is even in your, what you think is a mediocre position, it's really a big deal to God. Bloom where you're planted. Do what God's called you to do no matter where it is that He's called you to do it. And let God handle the rest. He's not worried about special position. The third thing I see, and we've got one more. The third thing I see in David here that I want for my life, David was not concerned with self-pity. He wasn't concerned with self-pity. You do not see anywhere in this where David goes, oh, woe is me. I've got to take cheese to the Valley of Elah. No, no, no. His attitude was different. He got up and he took the cheese to the Valley of Elah early in the morning. He wanted to please his father. And church family, if we're going to serve and if we're going to have the heart of a servant, remember this, obedience is always better than sacrifice. No matter what the cost is, just be obedient to what God's called you to do. Obedience is always better than sacrifice. Well, you don't know how hard my situation is. No, I probably don't, but God does. And He may have you walking in that place so that He can reach other people for Christ. You don't know what God can do in your situation. And David was not consumed with self-pity. I never see that here. I see David who is responsible, who is prudent, and who is task-oriented, doing what his father told him to do the first time. I want that in my life. I don't want God to have to manipulate me with strength and force. I want to be pliable. I want God to be able to do whatever he wants for my life when he wants himself to do it. He can do it. He can have it. I just want to be pliable. I don't want to ever sit in my office or in my truck or at my house and be wallowed with self-pity. I pray to God that I never get to a place where I forget the wonderful things that Jesus has done for me. Do you, can you imagine what God's done in my life? Number one, He saved me. At 15 years old, sitting over here in this old building on a Wednesday night, Dr. Ralph Sexton Jr. preaching, and the Holy Spirit of God came by my way and convicted me and showed me that I was a sinner. What an incredible thing that God did in my heart. Then He called me to preach. He gave me a beautiful wife and a church family that loves me. I never want to get over the goodness of God in my life. And David was not concerned with self-pity. The last thing I see in David's heart and in his life that's against the culture is society's perspective. David did not care what the people around him said or thought in relation to the task that God, his father, had called him to do. Take the cheese. But what will they think? Be faithful to church. But what will my friends at dinner club think of me? 
Be faithful to tithe. It's really tight right now. I'll just hold off a while. Be faithful in the small things so that God can do great things. But David was not worried about society's perception. He didn't look at his father and say, but dad, when I get there, my brothers, look what they're going to say. Look what they're going to do. No, he got up early and he went and did what his father had asked him to do. The heart of a servant. I close with this. I was thinking today in my office about people. And we've talked a lot lately about Miss Rice. Her strong-willed determination to do what's right. Bring her 11 children. Walk them to church. Be faithful to God's house. Walk up and down the streets of West Asheville collecting bottles to try to bring her $1 a week here to this place of worship. That's an incredible servant's heart. It's incredible. But I'll be completely and totally honest with you tonight. There was one servant that kept coming to my mind time and time again. And it's the heart that I want to have for my church. And I'll be honest with you, I I contemplated even going here. But I'll be honest with you, granddaddy. One of the greatest examples of a servant I've ever had in my adult life was watching you love your wife for years, consistently, every meal, if the house was to be cleaned, if the laundry was to be done, plus the church, studying, preparing, phone calls. And really, that's the heart exemplified of Christ to love over and over and over and over again. And listen, there will be people in this church that will hurt you. It's it's not a place of perfection. There there are opportunities here for your feelings and your emotions to be trampled. That's the human experience. But I promise you this, Jesus Christ will never, ever fail you. He'll never turn his back on you. And time and time again, no matter the situation or the circumstance, he will love you unconditionally. And when we get a hold of that and when we realize that and God does that in our hearts and it begins to blossom and grow and overflow, that we realize just how much God loved us. Then every time someone walks into this building who is broken, who is hurting, who is stumbling, who has an addiction, who doesn't really fit in. Do you know what they're going to feel when they get in this building? The heart of Christ. They're not here to experience the Baptist denomination. They're not here to see the great man of God stand and preach. They're here for Jesus. What an opportunity we have on Easter to bring people here and to love them. And let me show you how this is going to work. If you will come in this building every time and with the heart of a servant love him, it will make a difference in his life. And, and sir, if you'll come every time to Trinity Baptist Church, when you walk in the door, even when you're hurting, even when it doesn't make sense, and if you'll come with the heart of a servant, God, what can I do for you today? How can I love somebody, Lord, just like you love me? And, and you do it to this person, and then that person, and then that person. It's a chain reaction that will change this church. God, give me the heart of a servant. What can I do? for the cause of Christ. And then this young shepherd boy in Bethlehem, we see a great example of the heart of a servant. Let's pray.
Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and may God bless you until next time on Time for Truth.